If I protect the environment, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give a huge percentage of my income to the church, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I try to avoid all sin, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I believe all the right doctrine, but have not love, I am nothing. If people look up to me as a leader, but I have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Hey, Mountain. I'm Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, whether you're coming from uh, joining us at Bel Air or Edgewood Campus or here at Mountain Road Campus, just welcome. It's good to be together today. Uh, it is, is my pleasure to, to kind of help us continue along in this really great series called What's Love Got to Do With It? We're focusing in on some of the most beautiful words ever written anywhere, which is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul describes love. And so we're just going to start by just reading that. Uh, this is verses 4 and following. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So two weeks ago, we talked about being more than nice, about actually being patient and kind. And then last week, we talked about how love isn't proud or boastful. If, if you're living in the love of God, it really can't be all about me all the time, right? So today, we're calling the sermon, Remember to Forget. And that's a little bit of an oxymoron, right? You know what an oxymoron is. It's a, uh, like a phrase that contradicts itself, okay? So things like plastic silverware, jumbo shrimp, civil war, old news, Unbiased opinion, minor crisis, original copies, these kinds of things. You also have like winning third place, just act naturally. Uh, we drink diet soda, we eat airline food, we uh, watch reality TV, government organization, short sermon, this kind of stuff. Okay? <laughs> so we actually do, though, need to talk about remembering to forget because of this line from 1 Corinthians 13 we just read that just continues to challenge me all throughout my life. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What, I mean, what does that even mean? Is it the same as what we're told? You know, we've all heard this, just forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Is this another way of saying that? Because is that even possible? I was talking to a friend recently. Her dad walked out on her family when she was little and it still affects her today. She's in her 30s, and every day it affects her. It affects her marriage, uh, how she gives and receives love, how she sees herself, how she sees God. Can she forgive that? Can she forget that? I was talking to some other friends, multiple friends who were abused as children, and how could they ever forget that? Here's a question. Should they forget that? Isn't it dangerous 
to forget things sometimes so, so that we don't repeat them or allow them to continue to happen. I have another, other friends right now who are in the middle of just some heartbreaking legal battles and what they are actually, what they have to do lest they risk, they risk greatly their own safety and, and, and that of their loved ones, what they have to do is literally keep a record of wrongs committed against them by other people. So how are they supposed to do that and still follow the commands of Christ? We just, it's, the issue is forgiveness, and we know that it is so important. We all know forgiveness is a central thing to living life, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that it is intimately and inseparably linked with love. Love and forgiveness go together. So today we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about lists and walls. Okay, you all know what a list is, and you all know what a wall is, but did you know that lists often turn into walls? There's, there's some examples. Uh, the first one I thought of was down the road in D.C. We got the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, right? And this is a list of 58,000 names of people who served and died and gave, gave their lives. And, and uh, it has turned into this wall that's just a kind of a mo- moving tribute to their service. Then there's also this thing I found called the List Wall Project. And this is a traveling art exhibit that invites anyone to just come and anonymously add your own list of goals to the exhibit. So you can go and just people from all walks of life will show up and, and post their list and they can read other people's lists. And it, it's everything from pay off parking tickets to start a family to stop biting my nails to die on my own terms. And it's this, this kind of thought-provoking thing that says, you know, helps us think about what we all have in common and what we, how we're different. And really, I guess the aim would be for each of us to think about our own list. What are our hopes and goals and dreams? But there's a third kind of list that turns into a wall. I think this is the most common kind. And we all do this. We have these lists, whether we ever write them down or type them out or not. We carry around lists of sins and wrongs between us, between uh, us and other people, between us and God. This is what Paul calls our records of wrongs. And you know, those lists inevitably do one thing. They grow into walls. They turn into walls between us and God. So let's say, let's say God is over here, okay? So you come into worship today and you're thinking man, that, there's that thing I said last week or maybe even today already, and it was hurtful or it was untrue, and I want to worship God, but it's standing between us. Or maybe you're like, you know, there's, there's all those years, my prodigal years, I was just, I was far from God, and I, I made so many bad decisions. And those things, I can't forget them. They, they stand like a wall between me and God. Or maybe, maybe you have... Just maybe, you know, it's not a huge brick in the wall like this. Maybe you're like, I've never robbed a bank, but I just, there's a thousand little tiny stones of greed that just mount up. Or maybe you're like, I've never cheated on my wife, but what about every lustful thought? They just, they're like a wall. Or maybe there's that thing for you, and you're like, you know, I can't even, I can't even name it. But God, you know, you know what it is, and I do too, and it's on the list, right? It stands between us. And then we, we have walls that come up between us and other people. So I, I've been reflecting on this, and God's been convicting me. So that I was thinking about a, some wrong that was done to me 10 years ago. The, uh, per, said some things, some person said some things and did some things. And, you know, I like to pretend I'm over it, but I realize I'm not. It stands, stands as a wall between me and some other people. Or there's that person that, that did me wrong, that sort of uh, stole an opportunity from me. They overlooked me. They prejudged me. And, you know, I thought I was over that, but apparently I still kind of hold a grudge. Or, you know, there's the things that I've done. I have that list, too. There's, uh, 
a friendship that I damaged when I was a young, foolish leader and I said some harsh words and did damage to a friendship that has never recovered. Or there are those people in my life that I claim to love, friends and family members, and I, if I'm honest, I, I've just kind of written them off. I've chosen the easier way of saying, I'm not going to do the hard work or relationship. There's walls between us because of lists of wrongs. And I could, I could stand here, I could build a huge wall. I bet maybe you could too. And you know, they, they keep, this is how it goes. They keep getting built day by day, brick by brick, sin by sin, wrong by wrong. And one day, we look up and this is our life. This is how we're living. We are trapped. We're boxed in. We're, we're just kind of emotionally and spiritually and relationally walled off from God and walled off from other people. And it, it, it's a lonely, scary place. And you know, for me, the higher and thicker I let these walls get the less I feel like I have the strength to bust through them or the right tools to kind of get over them, I just feel more and more hopeless about it sometimes. And this is what becomes of our records of wrongs, our lists, our sin lists. But there's good news. There's good news today. And I'm just going gonna to read it straight from another one of Paul's letters. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Heads up, front row. (laughs) He has destroyed the dividing wall between us and other people. And then verse 19 says this, Consequently, you are no longer, no longer foreigners or strangers, but you are fellow citizens, God's people, and also members of God's household. That's good news. And then those walls between us and God. Listen to this from from, uh, Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions, okay, from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And then one more time from Paul in in Romans chapter 8 this time. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's good news. This is what God does, okay? Now, so we're talking about what's love got to do with it. Here's the answer. God is love, and love keeps no record of wrongs. And so this God of love, he knocks down the walls. He, he casts our sin as far as east is from the west. He casts them away. A modern uh, way of thinking about this might be he deletes it. He, he totally deletes the record of wrongs. Okay, he, there is no backup file on the hard drive or in the cloud. There is no hard copy just in case. There's no partial file It's deleted. It's gone. Here's another modern analogy. God is not a hoarder. Okay? I have a little bit of, like, hoarder tendencies in me, right? Okay? I'm a collector. I like to attach meaning to things because they remind me of people and memories and stuff. And, like, you don't want to see my office right now. Okay? And some of it is admittedly, it's junk. Okay? And thankfully, I married... And, by the way, there's something wrong with y'all people who throw everything away, too. Okay? 
But I married someone, thankfully, who can be like, every once in a while when it's necessary, she'd be like, enough. We are never going to use that. Get rid of it. Okay? Go on. And I want you all to know that that is what God does with our sins. We think about God like a hoarder, like he's sitting in his house somewhere in heaven and he's got all of our junk and he's just saving it just in case he needs it one day to, to construct his devastating case against us on judgment day, right? We think about God like that. No, that is not the God of love. God is like, get that junk out of here. Never going to use it. Don't need it. He's not a hoarder. And so what this means is in Christ, we are free. We are free. We can move. We can live. But here's the problem. We're, we're, we, the walls are gone, but we go around like, we're, we're like, okay, I'm free. And then we're like, we're like mimes, right? We live like mimes. And there's, we act like there's a wall there when it's not. Everybody knows that mimes are dumb. Think about it. Some of y'all will get that in a minute. We wonder why. We sit around wondering why young people are walking away from the church. We wonder why our friends and family are far from God. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that those of us who are in Christ, who claim to be in Christ, the walls are gone, but we're walking around like moms, living in these little prisons of air that we've, we've constructed ourselves. We're, we're, we trap ourselves in these little cages, and, and people see that. People take note of that, and they think the whole thing is untrue. Take a look at this video. It's kind of like this. wonder when I see that, okay, I wonder if there were any people who, like, they wouldn't have made the cut for the video, but I wonder if there were any people who were just like, nah, and they just walked right on through, right? They just kind of called their bluff. They saw through the trick, because I think that is what we need in this world. I think that is what God wants us to be. Some people, some Christians, who will just kind of see Satan's tricks and see this, this wall that, that is not really there, and just walk on through. Because all it would have taken to, for these poor, deceived people would be one person who just was like, no. Nah, and just cruised on through there, right? And what I, want, what I want to tell you today is that God wants you to be that person. 
He wants me to be that person in your neighborhood, in your family, in your social network, in your office. The person who says, no, 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 we're free, and walks on through and helps other people see that the walls are gone and there's freedom in Christ. God wants us to forgive, and we can, actually. I have seen it. I've seen it in this community, and so have you. And so real flawed people like us, we can forgive. We can be people of forgiveness, but how? How does that happen? So, you know, the best, how do we bust down that invisible wall? So I've been reading this book by a guy named Miroslav Volf, and it's called The End of Memory, Remembering Rightly in a Violent World. And I just think that it's an amazing book, and that, that title just nails it. We live in a violent world. We live in a place of hurt and harm sometimes. But our task is to remember rightly. Our task is not to just forgive and forget. We can't. But we can remember rightly. We can remember to forget. We can be people of love even for our enemies. So how do we do that? How do we not keep a record of wrongs? Well, so instead of just telling a bunch of beautiful stories, which we could do today of forgiveness, instead we decided today was the time for just some good practical teaching and kind of some steps, some tools for our toolbox for how to be people of forgiveness. So get, get out your pen or warm up your thumbs, okay? Ready? I'm about to give you seven, seven steps real quick. Here's the first one. Number one, sense the importance of forgiveness. Sense the importance. Matthew 18, Peter comes up to Jesus, and he's like going to kiss up to the teacher, right? So religious leaders said you've got to forgive three times. Peter says, all right, double that, add one. Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Se- up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 try 70 times seven. Try infinity times, Peter. And then Jesus tells this story that we know as the parable of the unmerciful servant. So there's this guy who owes a debt he could never in his whole life come close to repaying, and the king to whom he owes it just forgives it, pure grace, just forgives the debt. And this guy reacts to that forgiveness by going and finding someone who owes him 10 bucks, and he has him thrown in jail for it. And the king gets word of this, and he is furious. And Jesus says, I tell this story because when you choose to not forgive another human being, you're like that guy. And the king is not happy. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. The Lord's Prayer ends like this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. you got to let that sink in for just a second. According to Jesus, the forgiveness I'm going to receive is directly related to the forgiveness I give out. That is a big deal. All right, here's number two. Squash it early. Squash it early. Bill Hybels Bill says this. He, he says it this way. Keep short accounts. Because when we live and work and do life together, there is going to be friction. There's going to be conflict and dysfunction and disagreement and wrongs are going to be committed. And so how do we usually handle that? A lot of times we handle that by not handling it, right? We, um, we deal with it when we're absolutely forced to. We, we, we are scared. We're wimps, okay? Or we're lazy. We're self-centered. And we kind of justify being so passive. We justify our passivity by saying, no, 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 I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to, soon time will heal that. It'll be water under the bridge. But, But no, that is not the biblical approach. Ephesians 4, 
In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Matthew 5, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Now being patient and thoughtful and prayerful and not acting too quickly, that's one thing. But being, you know, choosing to ignore or deny or just wait for something to fix itself, that's another thing. Think about cancer. How do, we do, how do we deal with cancer? Okay, We hear of a cancer diagnosis, we get the tests, we get the facts, we, we, we look at the options, and we make decisions as quickly as we can and efficiently as we can so we can act quickly. Right? We, what we don't do with cancer is just say, ah, let's see if it fixes itself. Because it metastasizes and it spreads and it is deadly. And I want to say to you guys today that these records of wrongs that we carry around between us are cancer cells in the body of Christ. We've got to get rid of them as quickly as we can. Number three, set fire to the list. Burn the record of wrongs. I did not say set fire to the property of the person who did you wrong. Okay, I'm from Atlanta. We had a celebrity couple back in the day, Andre Risen. The star receiver for the Falcons was with uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez of the music group TLC, right? And they were always in the news, lived in his big mansion. And one time, I guess he did her wrong, or she felt like he did him wrong. She, he did her wrong, and uh, what she did was uh, set fire to his house. She burned his house down. It was big news, you know. Hey, don't do that. <laughs> don't destroy property. Don't hurt anybody. But what I'm saying is you have, to, you have to destroy that record of wrongs. You have to eradicate it, annihilate it. This is not the same thing as just saying, just try to forget it. Push it aside. In many cases, you can't. But you've got to keep moving forward. Listen to, this is from Wolf. He says, wrongdoing suffered makes us see what's behind us even when we look straight ahead. And Satan wants us to remember our past in such a way as to keep us trapped in it and doomed to repeat it but we got to do is move forward you got to do things like get some help get some counseling counseling is a good and beautiful thing you need to name it and deal with it maybe you need to write maybe you need to write a letter pound the keys whether you send this letter right now or not maybe you need to write a letter of forgiveness or asking for forgiveness maybe what you need to do is those people in your life who always rehash it those voices they always want to bring you back into it you just need to shut that down and you say, no, no more. I refuse to go there anymore. I love the story about Clara Barton, uh, founder of the American Red Cross back in, back in the day. She, uh, she, she made it a rule never to hold on to resentment in her life. It's just a rule of hers. And a friend once reminded her of this, this uh, really hurtful thing that had happened, a cruel incident from her past. And she seemed to like not even remember it. And the friend was like, how can you, don't you remember the wrong that was done to you? And she said these beautiful words, I love this. She says, calmly, she says, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. That's beautiful. So maybe we can't forgive and forget, but I think we can do what Clara Barton did. I think we can remember to forget. I think we can choose not to keep a record of wrongs. Number four is this, see the big picture. So these things that have happened, these wrongs between us and God and other people, we got to remember them. 
Okay, but you can't only remember. When we remember, it can send us off in a good direction to not repeat them, to heal, or it can send us off in a bad direction to, to escalate, right, to retaliate. What we have to do, and any good counselor will tell you, the step of integration is huge. You have to integrate your experiences into some larger story that gives them meaning. And around here, we would call this the upper story. So you have to decide in your life with the wrongs that have been done. You have to decide if there is some overarching upper story, some larger narrative, and if so, who's telling it? Who's in charge? Where is, where is it headed? And around here, we believe in the God of love who is, is writing a good story in our world. At the end of the day, there's a happy ending. It's a good story, and it's headed someplace good. And good and love and God are going to win out over chaos and darkness and evil. And that context for the Christian makes it possible to integrate our stories and the wrongs that we've done and have been done to us into that larger story. Number five, stop the violence. Don't retaliate. Don't escalate. We live in a culture of vengeance. How many movies, how many stories out there are about some hero who decides to take it upon him or herself to get vengeance on the bad guys, right? Usually of the most violent possible kind. But the Bible very clearly says that we are to leave vengeance to God. So, what do we do? Because we live in this culture that's permeated, that's addicted to what uh, author Walter Wink, he calls it this, the myth of redemptive violence. This is, this is a worldview that kind of enshrines the idea, the belief that violence saves, that war brings peace, that might makes right. But Jesus did not teach that, and he did not model that. Jesus was not into revenge, though he was the one who kind of was justified in taking it if he wanted to. And neither was Jesus what, what like some would define a pacifist as just this wimpy, kind of roll over and let, roll out the red carpet for evil. That was not Jesus either. Jesus took a harder middle way, and this is what he did. He, he said, we resist evil. We stand up to it with the greatest courage and the greatest sacrifice, but we do that while still choosing to love everybody. We don't hate. We hate evil. We don't hate anyone, even the evildoer. That's the way of Jesus. Jesus says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth leaves us all blind and toothless. Okay, that's not a good thing. Wolf talks about the double victory of evil. Listen to this. The double victory that evil wins when we retaliate. He says this. To triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory, when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. In my own situation, I could do nothing about the first victory of evil, but I could prevent the second so if you're involved in some kind of battle, just stop. Be the one with the courage to lay down your weapons and walk away. Now listen, don't be a victim. Don't put up with or enable further abuse. If you're in an abusive situation, get out. You need to get out. But don't retaliate. Be a peacemaker. Be a cycle breaker in the name of love. Six, we've got to start building bridges. Remembering rightly is not just about what we stop doing. It is, uh, it is also about what we start doing. Sometimes when the walls get torn down, all it does is reveal the canyons and the chasms still between us. So we've got to build bridges. Forgiveness really begins when you can start to see somebody like God sees them, when you can serve that person, when you can actively love them. So there's a story, and that, that always begins with prayer. 
There's a story that, that helped shape me of uh, Dr. Byron Harper. We, we knew him as Paul Harper because he was the dad of my campus minister. And uh, he was a kind of a leading Christian role model guy in our community. And my campus minister, Rick, tells a story about his dad from when Rick was a kid. Uh, his dad was being attacked at work. Somebody was wrongly accusing him, telling lies, undermining, and just trying to rule him in a, in a cruel way. I'm trying to ruin him, excuse me, in a cruel way. And uh, he said he, he saw his dad control his, you know, not take revenge, and he saw him get down on his knees at night, and he said he, his jaw was clenched, and he grabbed his bedpost, and he started praying. He said, God bless that son of a gun. He didn't say gun. And he said he saw his dad go to work and, and have some self-control and not retaliate, and he said every night he saw him get on his knees, and he, the interesting thing happened. Gradually, his jaw relaxed and his hands weren't gripping quite so tight. And he would hear his dad say, God bless that man. And then eventually the prayer became, God bless Jim. And eventually, he's, he's not grabbing the bedpost at all. He's just he's praying and he's saying things like, God, would you, would you bless Jim? And would you bless his wife, Nancy? And would you take care of their son, Tommy? And I know what they're going through. And that became his prayer. And that is a beautiful image of the process of forgiveness. You know, I actually don't know if Jim ever changed. I don't know if Paul Harper's circumstances at work ever change. And I'm glad I don't know because it's beside the point. The point of the story is not that circumstances would change, but Paul Harper changed. His prayers of forgiveness transformed him. Louis B. Smeads once said, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And he, so Paul Harper chose the way of Jesus. And how different would our world be if we could just do that more often? We hear you've got to fight fire with fire, but think about if firefighters show up and fight a fire with fire. It's destruction, pain. We, they fight fire with water. And Jesus says the only way to douse out and to quench the fires of hatred is by showering and soaking them with love. With love. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the greatest voices ever on love and forgiveness. One of his most enduring quotes says this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 12, Overcome evil with good. Your mama and mine said it like this, Two wrongs don't make a right. Number seven is this, stick with Jesus. If you're anything like me, you're not strong enough to forgive. Maybe the little stuff, I can muster that up, but I can't, I can't do it on my own. I need some outside assistance. Alexander Pope famously said, to err is human, to forgive is divine. In other words, people screw up. We, we wrong each other, always have, always will. It's a part of our human condition. But this forgiveness thing, this letting go, this deleting the record of wrongs, that's a God thing. And we need God in the equation if we're going to do that. So, if you want to love and forgive somebody, you have to become, the only way to do that is to become a person of love and forgiveness. And if you want to become a person of love and forgiveness, the only way to do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way that I know of to do that is to walk daily with Jesus Christ. Daily, over the long haul. 
Here's another good one from MLK. He says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. So I'm telling you that a real relationship with Jesus is the way to forgiveness and love. He, you know, he's the one that says, cast your cares on me. He can handle them. Even our lists of wrongs, even our, our relational junk, the abuses we've sh- suffered, the abuses we've perpetrated, the anger we feel, he's the one who suffered and everything, the worst anyone could suffer, and died for our sake. And he's the one who conquered death. And so he would tell you, yes, even that person, you can forgive them. Yes, even that thing, he can redeem it. Unless it's bigger than death itself, he can and he wants to redeem it in your life. So I'm going to end with a story of Jesus I was reminded with this week. John chapter 20. Uh, In John's Easter account, uh, Mary Magdalene is the first one to whom the risen Christ appears. And she goes and tells the disciples, and then they lock themselves in a room. They're scared, and they're hiding from the authorities, and they're in a locked room. And Jesus says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He just showed up. Thomas, though, wasn't there, the one we call Doubting Thomas. And he says, i got to see it to believe it. i got to touch his hands to make sure this is not a hoax or a hallucination. So a week later, it happens again. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And Jesus had Thomas touch his wounds on his side and in his hands, and Thomas said, Okay, now I believe. And Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have still believed. And that, that includes us. It's an awesome story. We, we, we focus usually on the Thomas part, but I want to focus today on another part. What about the walking through walls part? What about that part where Jesus appears and the walls don't mean anything? Because he's there, he's physically intact, and, and, and he's there and he's like, guys, what walls, what walls? Walls, schmalls. I just rose from the dead. I just conquered death. Now, let's go change the world with love and forgiveness. And those guys are like, yeah, let's do that. And they did. And I'm witness to that, and so are you, and I have experienced some of that forgiveness of Jesus, and, and, and that makes me decide for my life, yeah, I'm with him. Walls? What walls? I'm with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for showing us what love is. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 13 and just the fact that in your power and your grace we can be people who don't keep records of wrongs. Lord, thank you for knocking down the dividing walls between you and us and between us and each other and help us to live as if that is true, that a watching world might also see that it's true. Thank you for freedom in Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us clean and makes us new and makes us whole again. In his name we pray, amen.